You are listening to the Hostage to the Devil podcast. Some listeners may find this content disturbing. One of the books we have in our house is Windswept House, and that is a novel of some notoriety because it talks about archbishops, cardinals doing satanic rituals in the Vatican. And Martin is saying, he's quoted as saying, 95% of events in this book are real, and 85% of the characters are real people. Do you personally think he's being metaphorical with the satanic ritual in the Vatican, or do you believe him? Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously I would have to be in a different position in life than I am to know for sure. But there's always been Satanism in Rome, always. Of course, there's Satanism everywhere. Uh, We ourselves are kind of satanic whenever we sin. But in terms of worshipping the the dark angel, uh, that has always existed in Rome. In the end, Father Martin would write an astonishing 16 books, most famously his work Windswept House, which has become important in the light of the crisis in the church. Malachi Martin wrote this book called Windswept House, and you know it's, it's called a Vatican novel, but if you go and read the interviews or listen to the coast-to-coast interviews that Martin gave at the time that he wrote the book, he called it faction. In other words, it's fiction based on facts. It's not the kind of area that I want to spend a lot of time researching because I just feel dirty when I do it. You know, I'd rather dig into biblical studies and things like that. But Just with everything else going on, I felt it was important to bring this out one more time and to to trot out uh, Father Martin's work, uh, which as a relatively recent Catholic going, I'm I'm in my 10th year as a Catholic and I've been fascinated by uh, Father Martin's writings and I feel like he had something to say. Well, you've asked for and here it is, the show on Malachi Martin. In the first couple chapters, there's this satanic ritual um, of enthroning of Satan in the Vatican and at the same time there's one done in, I think it's Charleston, South Carolina. And so everybody, including myself, is picking up a copy of Malachi Martin's Windswept House. It's actually pretty well written. There's parts of it that get tedious. Um, whenever he's talking about politicians, I get bored. When he's talking about churchmen, I get interested. It kind of goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. I would Whether say not, read it, but don't, you know, don't go mentioning it as gospel. Now let's move to your, your latest publication, Windswept yes. House, a Vatican novel. Yes. What prompted you to write this? The fact that there is a plan implemented for the last five or six years by cardinals and bishops, cardinals very near the Pope and cardinals throughout the world in, in America as well as abroad, and bishops, to have this Pope to resign on his 75th birthday. You see, every bishop, and the Pope is a bishop, should resign at the age of 75. The Pope is an exception normally. But these people want him to resign because they don't consider that he is forward-looking enough or vigorous enough or liberal enough. And uh, they actually happen to agree with those who think that the human population must be severely limited by artificial means and they're willing to compromise on the whole question of married priests. They don't mind the idea of married priests. And some of them would like to see... uh, women ordained as priests, all of which this Pope will not allow. Now, one of the things that I noted in the windswept house is that the prologue is history, the beginning of the book, yes. is most unsettling. Yes, it is. And if any of those things are true, and sometimes they say that the truth can only be told as fiction, yes. uh, and there are some names in this book that uh, have a either hauntingly frightening... Uh, similarity to known characters. Well, let me deal with that, Michael, very forthrightly. Okay. Uh, You know, our own own favorite American, Norman Mailer, uh, following Taylor Caldwell, that that marvelous writer, Taylor Caldwell, they invented or they they gave usage to a, a form called faction. By that they mean real facts dressed up as fiction. So, in other words, I want to describe, uh, I say, suppose I have Taylor Cole, I want to describe the oil barons, and the Kennedys in particular, and the Buckleys. Then I would give them all uh, pseudonyms and create a fictional novel about the reality that happened. Similarly with Winsep House, I wanted to write about this plan to get the Pope to resign, and the type of church that those who are urging him to resign would like to have. 
I clothed their names in fiction, gave them fictional names. 95% of the fictional names are cover real people, real cardinals, real bishops. Of course, and I'm sure this is going to disturb some people. Well, yes and no, provided that the real name isn't down, they feel they get away with this. But I, I thought we should put down, and then of the facts, or something else, the facts are trace the, the history of John Paul II as Pope since about 1990, roughly. And, but uh, it's meant to outline this plan. It's also meant to remind Roman Catholics and non-Catholics that John Paul II has left the greater questions in suspended. He doesn't solve them at all. Right. And the book ends on a note of suspense, as you probably have found out. Oh, yes, it's quite so suspenseful. That's, that's, that's why I wrote the book, uh, the, wrote Winthrop House. It does emphasize, though, the desirability on the part of many, the desirability of the church to be a useful socio-cultural and socio-political stabilizing factor throughout the new world order. But I don't know how that's going to be accomplished necessarily because well, there's so much anti-church sentiment or Christian... Well, but they, they, the, 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 the proponents of this say if the church makes that compromise about abortion, contraception, mm -hmm. marriage, divorce, then we can all settle down. Well, yeah. <laughs> that, of course, the church will not do that, except certain leaders would like to do that. Right. Hi, Roberts. It's been a while. Salutations. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show it's been again. A while, Mark. Uh, today we're talking about Winsworth House. I think I believe it was the first book I read, and Keys of This Blood. So yeah, I'd love to talk about um, yeah, Winsworth House, the controversial book. The how you told me that he wrote it in a factional style. So first and foremost, let's get a little update from yourself since the last time we spoke. What's been going on? You're wearing an eye patch like Jack Sparrow, so please tell me what's going on, please. Oh, uh, it's just that um, I have, uh, I've got glaucoma in my right eye, and it's, it's a, a kind of blindness where the, the optic nerve that goes into the brain uh, the optic nerve is like 95% destroyed because of the glaucoma. Um, and the blindness, is, it's not the kind of blindness where if you were to walk into a windowless room, turn out the lights and shut the door, it's not black. It's more like these amorphous colored lights that just move and shift. And it doesn't form a coherent picture with my eye. The reason why I occasionally wear a patch is that my good eye, obviously the, the nerve tries to reconcile the input from the good optic nerve with the damaged, very damaged optic nerve to form a picture for my brain to process and see. And it just leads to, you know, the occasionally very severe migraine headaches. And then I have to take a medicine that I refer to as Goofenthal because <laughs> it makes me pretty loopy. So I just, you know, sometimes just prefer the eye patch instead. Loop, loopy more than usual. <laughs> well, I don't My wife would be a better judge than I would. But... <laughs> right, let's get stuck into Winstrap House then because, um, sure. like I said before, it was... I think it was the, the first book that I read when I started to tackle the subject of Malachi Martin seven, eight years ago now. So talk me through for any audiences that don't really know the book and give us sort of a run through, like a, like a, if it's possible, like a synopsis of, the, of, the, of this book and why it was controversial. And then we can talk more about your own sort of depiction and interpretation of it. Sure. The book, Windswept House, that came out, I believe, in, 1996, uh, as far as being a story, pretty much picked up where his novel Vatican left off with the election of the Polish Pope. So it picked up there uh, thematically, but it began with uh, references to the late 1950s when Pope Pius XII received in audience members of the newly formed Council of Europe, which was the, uh, 
I guess, the predecessor to the European Economic Community or the European Union, EU. And he gave them a warning. He said, Europe will, will have its day, but unless you acknowledge and adhere to the Christian, historical Christian roots of Europe, your experiment will be a failure. And then it leaps to 1963, June 29th or 30th, with the, the satanic enthronement ceremony in the chapel of St. Peter and Paul at the Vatican. A lot of people think that it is actually inside the Basilica of St. Peter, and that's not quite accurate. It's in the Vatican, but it's not in the big Basilica itself. Um, but there was a... No, it's, uh, as Maliki was wont to say, it was a factional book. He told facts with a story changing the names so that he would keep his kneecaps. I was, that was his standard phrase. I don't want to lose my kneecaps. And, and who, who, who was he afraid? Who was he afraid of at that time then? Um, the group of, I believe it would have been the group of clerics, senior level clerics inside the Vatican who had, uh, who had also been uh, participating members of uh, the satanic group, a covert inside the Vatican. And according to their lore, they there was a specific time frame during which they had to uh, enthrone Lucifer within the Vatican. It was called the enthronement of the prince in the citadel of the enemy. And uh, I actually spoke with a priest who 30 years to the day after uh, that dual enthronement ceremony took place because there was a mass, I believe, in South Carolina, a black mass, and then one in the Vatican. And some of the nastier things, according to the book, were done in South Carolina, and they were correspondingly reenacted to the extent possible in the Vatican over the telephone link. Um, and this priest and Father Malachi uh, what they did was, on that very day, 30 years, 30 years later, they both celebrated at the same time what's called a Mass of Reparation, or a, uh, a Mass of asking for God's forgiveness for this heinously evil act that was perpetrated uh, inside the Vatican, allegedly by people who were supposed to be devoted to God in the first place. So that's, you know, Windswept House kicks off with that. Uh, the details are quite lurid, as, as you probably remember. So uh, I'm not going to belabor them here. Anyone who wants to know can read the book. But the book then hops forward in time to the papacy of John Paul II. And John Paul II... He was known as the world-traveling pope. He thought it was his mission to see and, I guess, preach to as many people as possible. And on a personal level, he was a mystically holy man. I met him in 1995. Uh, Malachi Martin made a phone call to Rome, and two and a half weeks later, I was shaking the pope's hand. I've got a photograph of it. Um, he was mystical. When he looked at you, he wasn't looking at you. He looked through you. Um, but that does not excuse his errors of uh, church governance. And he knew a lot of these things that we now, I don't, wanna, I don't like to say taking for granted. It's just we've become numb to the scandals. But he knew about them. And for whatever his reasons were, he chose to do nothing. You know, there was the infamous case a couple of years ago of uh, the former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, right? 
not only was he removed as a cardinal, he was laicized by uh, Pope Francis and returned to the lay state, which is about as big a humiliation for a cardinal as is possible. The reason why it happened was because some of his victims from, you know, uh, 20 or so years ago finally came forward with irrefutable evidence saying, here is how I was molested. Here is where it took place. Here are the people who can corroborate it. And, you know, McCarrick had, he could not defend himself against that. There was no defense. It was just, you did it. We've got the evidence. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, a lot of people think that he was probably offered up as a sacrificial lamb to say, look, we're, we're doing something. But a lot of people know that it's still very, very prevalent in the Vatican today, unfortunately. And with, uh, you know, with the bishops in Western Europe and the United States. So that ties to windswept house because it, it touches on that. But, you know, the big question windswept house leaves outstanding is why didn't the Pope do anything? And it comes down to the Pope thought he was going to receive uh, some sort of sign from heaven, so to speak. And he was waiting for that sign. And until he received his sign, whatever that was going to be, uh, his policy was to wait, watch, and just make sure the ship didn't, you know, spring too big of a leak. So, you know, uh, and it also, Windswept House ties into the keys of this blood. The keys of this blood, if you would think of it, which was published like four years earlier, think of it as a an instruction manual or the New World Order's ideal Pope molded in their image. And then Windswept House shows the New World Order's efforts to get such a Pope uh, enthroned. First, they would have to get the current Pope, because John Paul II, although he was not a traditionalist, was still a believer. They had to get him to resign. And Malachi Martin, in that sense, was very prophetic because it was not John Paul II that they got to resign, but they did compel Pope Benedict XVI to resign. And one thing that I've always found to be oddly prophetic is that when he was first elevated to the papacy in 2005, Pope Benedict famously said, he asked Catholics, pray for me that I do not flee for fear of the wolves. And then eight years later, a lot of people can make the case, he fled because of the wolves. And we've gotten a Pope who has, you know, he has now made it his mission to suppress and eliminate the traditional Latin mass he released the letter Traditionis Custodes back in July of this year, which basically did something that was unprecedented. He reversed a still living former Pope's very broad permission that he gave for priests to say the Latin Mass and instituted very harsh restrictions so that in some dioceses around the world, the bishops basically said, finally, We've got a Pope with the guts just to say, get rid of this thing. And they're of a similar mind as him. And they've clamped down hard. Um, you know, Francis uh, himself said early in his pontificate, he said, it may very well be that I'm the Pope who causes a schism in the Roman Catholic Church. And a lot of this he does, he says off the cuff in airplane interviews. You know, uh, he's a controversial pope. And, you know, he 
I guess a lot of people think that he goes stomping around in heavy army boots where angels would fear to tread. And he is exactly the Pope that Malachi spoke of in chapters 34 and 35 of the Keys of This Blood and whom the forces aligned against uh, Papa Valeska in the windswept house. He's exactly the kind of Pope they were trying to get installed. He was installed by, are you familiar with the term the St. Gallen Mafia? Okay. There was a former very prestigious Jesuit Cardinal, Carlo Martini. He passed away in 2012. And he was opposed theologically to almost everything Pope John Paul II and at the time his right-hand man, Cardinal Ratzinger, were doing and stood for him. But he also knew he was at a certain place in the hierarchical totem pole that he had no influence over policy if we were talking about secular government. So he formed this informal group of like-minded senior prelates, uh, one of which was the former cardinal, I believe the Catholic cardinal in London is the cardinal of Westminster. Is that it? Mm. I think so. Okay. One of them was the cardinal from uh, Westminster. I believe his name was Basil Hume. Um, but there was Godfrey Daniels, Cardinal McCarrick, uh, Cardinal Martini, you know, like-minded Cardinal Schoenborn from uh, Vienna. They were all like-minded prelates who held that the Catholic church had to be radically updated in order to keep pace with modern times and it had to abandon outmoded modes of supernatural belief chief among them the, the traditional catholic devotional life suppression of the traditional latin mass as it existed up until about 1965 uh, suppression of traditional devotions like the holy rosary all right. Um, suppression of devotions like the chaplet to St. Michael and the angels. Holy hours, adoration uh, of the Blessed Sacrament. Because, you know, th these were modern men, Marty. I mean, who goes into a church, kneels down in front of a little round piece of bread in an ornate holder and worships it? as the body, blood, soul, and divinity in reality of Jesus Christ. Come on, we're in the age of iPhones and, you know, sending probes to other planets now. That smacks of, you know, medieval fairy tales. And so now you have a Pope who is in line with that line of thinking. You know, it was very telling that early in his pontificate, he was presented with a document that said, you know, holiness, you know, here is a spiritual bouquet of umpity hundred thousand rosaries prayed for the success of your pontificate. He says, I don't care about that. He says, I care about the loneliness of old people and youth unemployment. That's his exact words. And it pretty much set the tone for where he was going. Um, he's a Peronist from Argentina, meaning he'll tell corporate leaders one thing in the morning, and then he'll tell a group of socialist leaders the exact opposite in the afternoon, because at the exact moment he's saying it, it's what he believes. Um, he has... So, so you're not a fan then? <laughs> well, it's it's not that I'm not a fan. It's just you know that as a former intelligence officer, I go by factual data. Yeah. Right. And if you will indulge me for just a moment, all right, I would just give you some data points that prove. Okay. Uh, the following are indisputable facts. Okay, that contradict what a true vicar of Christ would do. And by the way, almost a year ago, 
the title Vicar of Christ was retired as a, quote, historical relic mm. and was no longer to be used. But in 2016, uh, he, Francis met and praised Italy's most notorious abortionist, known as Emma Bonino. She's an elderly lady now. Uh, she's directly responsible for approximately six million abortions in Italy. And he praised her as a great Italian woman. What believing Roman Catholic in his mind would refer to a woman who was such an advocate like that? However, she also espouses the legalization of drugs, um, you know, gay marriage, the whole LGBT agenda, liberalization of pornography laws, uh, mandatory sexual education in the schools for very young children. She identifies with the 1970s feminist slogan, we are no longer wives, daughters, and mothers. We must destroy the family. Um, Francis has also promoted uh, Father James Martin as a special communications consultant to the Vatican. He's a fellow Jesuit, and he is probably the Catholic Church's most publicly vocal supporter for, uh, let's just say, the sexual topic that will get you thrown off YouTube very quickly if you dare mention it. Uh, marriage between, take it from there. Um, he scandalized people when he made public references to the perverted sexual fetish now i don't know whether or not are you able to edit these videos i assume you are uh <laughs> seriously <laughs> only because I, I i can i can get banned again that's fine okay um he made reference to the uh, the sexual fetish fetish known as coprophagia i had to look that one up and it's people who derive sexual pleasure from eating human feces. And, and this is all public. I mean, this is all... Yes, yes. This is all a matter of the public record. You just Google it. Scary. Um, he's publicly dismantled orthodox, holy, traditional religious orders, such as the Franciscan Friars of the Immaculate. Um, and, you know... It uh, sounds like he's been quite busy. Well, two more data points. He's consigned the underground, the millions of people in the underground Roman Catholic Church in China mm. to the mercy of the Chinese Communist Party. Okay. Uh, and it's, again, you can go to bitterwinter.org because they follow, it's an Italian organization that follows the persecution of Catholics, Muslims, Uyghurs, and Falun Gong in China. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever wondered what it takes to make it in the movie business? Peel back the curtain with 4-6 Success Filmmaking. 4-6 Success Filmmaking is where filmmakers share their stories and the secrets. It's beyond competitive out there. There have been movies that it's taken me 10 years to get made. Don't wait to create. Like, you've got to just keep making stuff. Tune in to 4-6 Success Filmmaking for your dose of cinematic realness, direct from the voices that have lived it. I, I, I don't want to get bogged down in this, but what, what just from that point alone, what, what would his motivation be for doing that? What, what, has, he, has he come out and explained himself I mean, for that one? Well, he, has, he has not explained himself. In fact, he, when, when asked, he's pointedly ignored it and left the topic to his, uh, to his spokespeople who airily dismiss the concerns of, of believing Catholics. How, how could you consign millions of people to the Chinese Communist Party? And they just dismiss it. And here's an interest, and one interesting point is that in Chinese churches now, there are no longer Ten Commandments. There are nine commandments. Because the first commandment is, I am the Lord thy God. I am a jealous God, and you shall have no other gods before me. 
and Xi Jinping, the president of China, ordered that struck from the Ten Commandments in Chinese churches. Wow. Because the Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party is a very jealous god. Um, now, tying this to windswept house, you had the enthronement ceremony of Lucifer in the, um, the chapel of St. Peter and Paul, the Pauline chapel is known. Uh, and I may be getting some of the names incorrect here, but uh, when you had the enthronement of the demon, and then in 2019, you had Pope Francis enthrone the Amazonian goddess called Pachamama, the statue in the Vatican Gardens. And then later it was brought into and put on the altar of the Basilica itself during Mass, uh, a representative representation of that idol. And it's an Amazonian pagan demon goddess. How do you explain that? I mean, you can you can almost say um, you can engage in cognitive dissonance and say, well, yeah, he, he does all these crazy things that are against the faith, but he's still the good, still a good pope. And a lot of people have trouble reconciling A and B. And you know, we are building towards something. And that's what Malachi said regarding the third secret of Fatima. He says, we are building towards something. And... Well, uh, we'll, we'll leave that one to series three, mate. I mean, Fatima yes. me is just a... It's just a... It's, it, it's, a, it's a large topic, which I'd love to cover in season, series three. Um, well, that's fine. What, what, talk, to, talk to us about... What you've mentioned to me previously off record about this sort of our generation would see um, the approaching scream of an ancient beast or something like that. Talk, 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 me, through, yes. talk me through that. Sure. That, that phrase Maliki originally uh, used back in the, um, the early 1960s with the onset of the sexual revolution in society, uh, the liberalization in the church, but then the concomitant increase like this, I mean, it's a logarithmic increase in the loss of priests, the loss of nuns, the decline in mass attendance. I mean, literally within the span of 20 years, you went from a church that was arguably the most robust geopolitical force in the world to something that in our day, in many parts of society, is a laughing stock. Mm. Now, if you truly believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God incarnate, how can you believe that he is now, his organization is now a laughing stock within the space of a couple of generations? You know, uh, Priests are seen as people to be dangerous to keep, you know, keep your children away from. They're no longer holy men of God. People no longer believe. People no longer go to church. It's, that's what he meant by the approaching scream of the ancient beast, that there would come a point where God would say, okay, you've, you've offended me as far as you can despite all the warnings I have sent you via my mother's appearances in various places. You know, the Virgin, as you said, Fatima, but there's also uh, Akita, the, uh, the unapproved apparitions in Garabandal, Spain, the Malachi believed in, which coincidentally began right after the Vatican refused to acknowledge and publish the Third Secret. Uh, but there were all these warnings and mankind continues to basically ratchet things up against the Lord. As if to say, hey, we, we have iPhones. We have every technology in the world. You're irrelevant now. Mm. And, you know, if God truly does have a plan, then, you know, 
as Malachi told him once, he says, God will not be mocked forever. He says, there's going, to be, there's going to come a time when there will be a reckoning, and it will not be a pleasant one. It is spoken of in the Bible, and it's been spoken of by apparitions. And in the book Windswept House, the character of uh, that represented John Paul II, Papa Valeska, he was awaiting a sign that was going to basically put humanity on notice that no people could look at. They wouldn't be able to deny what it was. But afterwards, they would, they would still have their free will. But that there would inevitably some kind of punishment would befall mankind, which is supposed to be greater than the flood of Noah. What that is, your guess is as good as mine. There's many resources out there on approved apparitions that speak of such things. I'm, I'm not going to go on record as saying I know what they are. I have read what they may be. It does, does feel like recently there is, there is an, an inevitable tipping point we're all mm -hmm. going to be facing. The whole world is in turmoil with this, you know, this COVID virus yeah. i call i call it the cerveza virus <laughs> you are going to get me banned um yeah it's just i know it's it just i, I feel anyway that we, we are coming to some sort of tipping point and if people want to call it a reckoning then so be it but yeah let, let's just get back to windswept house in a sense that why, why do you think the book was as, as many of his books were uh, why was it this one sort of singled out to be one of his most controversial? Was it because he was he was presuming that this black mass did happen in the Vatican? What, what, in your own words, why do you think this was one of probably one of his most controversial books? Well, that, that black mass in the Vatican was certainly one of the most controversial parts of the book. I mean, if you want to go just by sheer shock value could almost consider the rest of the story interesting but mundane in relation to you know a black mass happening in the Vatican you know and people question whether or not it's just a literary device for loss of faith among the senior clergy of the Catholic Church however for another priest who was a in his uh, mid-30s at the time along with Malachi, on the 30th anniversary, as I mentioned before, to say those masses of reparation or to repair the evil that was done. That priest, I spoke to him, and he said, I am not saying I have direct knowledge of such a black mass. He said, what I am saying is that it would be a grievous sin for Malachi Martin to make that up put it into a book, and then have me celebrate at the same time, 30 years later, a formal, solemn mass of reparation for that happening, if it was merely a literary device. He said, so I know that Malachi Martin firmly believed such an event took place. The way that he found out about it was one of the participants was on his deathbed sometime in, I believe it was in the late 60s or the 1970s, and he confessed to being a participant in the Black Mass. And the priest he told it to said, I have to withhold absolution from you unless you give me permission to have what you just told me told to the Holy Father. And the person who was dying, you know the old phrase, there's there are no atheists in a foxhole. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he was staring over the edge into eternity and didn't like what he saw. So he said, yes, I do repent. You may tell the Holy Father everything that I've told you. Mm. And that person was part of the U.S. end of it in South Carolina. And he died with the sacraments of the church with a last-minute reconciliation. Um, but that's, you know, that's how Malachi Martin, you know, he found out about that through his Vatican sources. 
He was very well connected. He was very well connected. And people can still, the book's still online to, to buy and stuff? Is it, it's... You, can, you can purchase it on Amazon. And I believe the paperback format that I've got right over there. Uh, or I believe it's still available on Google Play. It's also available on uh, Amazon Kindle. And there are several places where people have put a scanned PDF just out there online for free. Because there have been times when, for reasons unknown, Amazon and Google and the publisher have just stopped making the book available. And, you know, take from that what you will. Yeah, I, I've always said it will make a great live live action series, Windswept House. It's a fantastic story. Oh, I, 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 com I completely agree with you because, you know, uh, just the, the reality of it and, you know, what we're facing now, it's just, it would be utterly compelling. Utterly compelling. Did, did, you, ever, did you ever wonder fitting Maliki Martin into, into, this, into, this, into this current time? Do you ever think about how one he would have responded to the social media surge? Because he was he was very much ahead of his time back in the seventies and eighties with the use of radio and and TV appearances, and he did use especially the radio, especially with the R Bell show, to really broadcast his message. How do you yes. think? I mean, how, would he have would he have used the new generation? Sort of the new generation, sort of. Um, technical kind of mindset of the social media push or, or would you would he have been quite standoffish with it and secondly how how do you think he would have responded to the current situation now in regards to the the church state of the catholic church and also with the with the way the world is going with, reg with regards to this um let's call it a pandemic well to answer your first question i believe he would have embraced any modern means of communication he was just, he was that kind of, he was a Jesuit. And Jesuits were always, you know, very strong in their scientific uh, learning and inquisitiveness. So that would, to embrace the technologies of the internet, you know, he did in the, the seminal years of the internet back in the mid 1990s, he actually had his own website and he would occasionally write little blurbs that he would put up on his website. Uh, but that's, that's been gone for years. So, but I believe he would have he would have embraced it totally. Um, now we are both under the assumption that by now he would, well, he'd be approaching a hundred years old. So, just how physically able he would be able to do. But I do believe he still would have given interviews to people like uh, Bernard Jensen. Mm, yeah. Up at Triumph Communications. Yeah. The problem is a lot of people, what they know of Maliki, they get they get through the Art Bell recordings. And Maliki was very, very indulgent to the people that the call screener let through. Because if someone was let through and they said, Maliki, what do you think about the epidemic of werewolves and vampires in France? I mean, the poor man had to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, there was no screening. Whereas, <laughs> whereas with Bernard Jansen of Triumph Communications up in Canada, yep. they were all yep. very orthodox Roman Catholic interviews. And his final one called The Tempter's Hour yes. sums up everything he ever said. So, yeah, that's a good, that's a good reminder. And also to, for any audience, audiences who are listening or watching, yeah, Bernard Jansen's work is with Maliki Martin is extremely. It's it's, it's very very good, and he and he kindly um, licensed some of his audio for my for my documentary as well. So, yeah, yeah, Bernard's a Bernard's a good guy. Uh, it's a good source of uh, information if you want to learn more about Maliki's teachings. And I also I also believe that if he were alive today, he would be using social media, but especially communications through his his writing. I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say TikTok then. <laughs> Especially, no, I could not. <laughs> For him, TikTok would be asking, waving at someone. What I meant by that question was, if you were to bring, uh, it's, it's the Maliki Martin that you knew before he died, you know, into this, into this sort of current period of of our lives, you know, 
I'm sure I'm, 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 I, there is even now a lot of lost souls out there who are looking for answers and they can't find it. And would you would have felt like, as usual, he would have filled that sort of, would he have plugged that Without sort of doubt. hole for many? Without a doubt. He, he, was, he was fearless in that respect. And he viewed it as his tiny little apostolate run from this tiny little cubby hole within the Lovanos apartment. It was separate and distinct his little cubbyhole but from there he ran a worldwide apostolate to bring the message of the gospel as seen by the catholic church the authentic gospel to as many people as possible through whatever communications media were available through his books through going to see them at 3 a.m in the morning to baptize a dying baby in a new york hospital when I get a call from Malachi at 2 a.m. saying, you know, are you available to drive me somewhere? You know, the answer was yes, but that's the kind of man he was. He was, he was selfless. Yeah. He was selfless. I knew the man for the last 10 years of his life. And, you know, the Lord and uh, the, the Blessed Virgin, you know, came before everything because... You know, in everything he said, he says, the mother of Christ always points to Christ. And he, he was always very careful to make that distinction because a lot of people have problems with that. And he would point to that uh, scene in the gospel, the wedding at Cana, with the only recorded words of the Virgin Mary. And those words are when the servants went to her and said, we're running out of wine. What do we do? And all she did was the Virgin Mary pointed at her son, Jesus, and said, do whatever he tells you to do. And Malachi believed that carried down to the current day, which is why he dedicated his books to the Immaculate Heart of the Virgin. Uh, but if he was alive today, he would be using, you know, whatever he was physically capable of utilizing to get the message out and you know, it would consequences be damned. He was quite vocal yes. about the Antichrist as well, wasn't he? He was quite, especially on the RPL show, yeah, about the Antichrist, you know, he, they would appear and they would be, they would, we would recognise who it would be, but it would be a fake, you know, it would be, they, they, would, they would present themselves as this, you know, this prophet and this sort of messiah, but in fact it was the Antichrist. And it, it was quite, you know, to listen to that, it was very... It was incredible to listen to, but also very, um, yeah, yeah. I was pretty scared listening to that on the Art Bell show when it came out. Well, I remember he told me once, he asked me to accompany him to a religious goods store down in South Manhattan. And we were on the Lexington line of the subway in Manhattan. And we got into the topic of the Antichrist. And he said, oh, he is alive today. And which kind of struck me. And I said, wait a minute. If he doesn't make his appearance, I said, when do you think that'll be? He says, well, I'll be playing a harp by the time that comes around. He says, you may very well be playing a harp by the time he reveals himself. He says, but your children and your children's children will, will see him. He called him the man of perdition. And I said, wait a minute. If he's alive today and he was born circa 1961, 62, if he doesn't reveal himself until, say, the year 2050, he's going to be almost 100 years old. And that's when Malachi corrected me and said, no, you're, you're overlooking one thing. His father is Lucifer. And he said, because of that preternatural aspect to his being, he will appear ageless. So it will be no problem for him to maintain the visual appearance of a 35 to 40-year-old man for many, many years, decades. And he said, yes. He says, when, he says, the world will be in such a state that they will be looking to anyone who can promise them answers. It'll just be at one condition. You renounce the Jesus Christ of the New Testament. Do that. Everything, all the disease will be taken away. Poverty, hunger, homelessness, Every ill plaguing every society in the world, I will make disappear like that if you will worship me. 
And that's going to be, Maliki told me that would be a very compelling proposition for a lot of people. Especially when people have gotten off. Especially when the church becomes so discredited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. mate. Absolutely. Yeah, people are getting desperate and they'll do anything when they're in a desperate state. So, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. want to leave on sort of too much doom and gloom, but. No. Any, no. any, wherever any, you want to take this. Yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll finish off there, but is there anything, you know, anything that Maliki, you, know, you mentioned the lovely moment there going grocery shopping, but is there anything that he said to you that's really stuck with you, which you could tell the audience now, which, which, which would give them a little bit of hope? Yes, that no matter how bad things seem to become, the Lord is always in control. And as long as you maintain your faith, no matter how many people laugh at you, no matter how many people dismiss you for being an idiot or ignore you, or, you know, it's, it's in the Gospel of John. People will hate you and despise you and throw you out of the marketplace, the temples and establishments, all because you acknowledge my name. And Malachi would say, despite all of that, hold fast to the tenets of the faith. He said, because during the Arian heresy of the early centuries of the church, he says, we are in a worse crisis now, but we each individually know what we must do to save our immortal souls. You have the information at your fingertips. Be an adult, believe, and act upon it. And it's a, it's a, ultimately, it's a message of hope. Because, you know, right now, people see what's going on in the world, but they don't realize what they're seeing are tactical battles. When the war was won on a windswept execution hill outside Jerusalem called Golgotha 2,000 years ago, it was won. Christ defeated the forces of evil and reopened mankind to a relationship with the Father, which had been sealed. And so the war has been won. We just have to keep fighting. We fight until we, until we pass away. And as it says in, in the New Testament, you know, I have fought the good fight, I have run the good race, laid up for me is the crown of glory. And ultimately, stick to the faith. Do not deviate whatever anyone promises. If it deviates from it, reject it out of hand. And just, just be steadfast, be a rock. Be a rock. Don't deviate from the faith, no matter what. Because the temptation is great. The temptation is at times overwhelming. I've experienced it. You know, my, uh, my confessor, my pastor knows that. It, it's a great temptation. But I have to hold on. Because if I don't hold on, then it's nothing. So it, it's ultimately a message of hope. That if you persevere, everything will be fine. Because what's really important is your immortal soul. You know, my, my father passed away a year and a half ago in the hospital. And for as painful as that was for me to, to see him die right in front of me, right? I also, I also believe that his, his soul is in paradise. And some people might say, well, you're presuming on God's mercy. I had, you know, traditional Gregorian Latin masses said for the repose of his soul. But I, but I believe. And as long as you believe, and you hold on to your belief like a pit bull dog holding on to a bone, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. The rest is all noise and chatter. Beautiful, Mike. Beautiful close. Well, thanks again for your time, Robert. And it's always a joy to catch up with you. Hopefully uh, next time I'll speak to you when I have an eye patch on the other eye. <laughs> oh man! I know, mate. No, that's an absolute joy. Yeah, it's absolute joy, and um, yeah, um, yeah. Hope. It's a nice. It's a nice way to finish. Uh, a little bit of hope, a sprinkle of hope, and um, yeah, it, and and by the way, just to, I don't mean to correct you. It's a lot of hope. A 
a lot of hope. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. As long as you hold on to the faith, as long as you hold on to the faith, and it will exist, and people will still be able to find it, no matter how many priests are canceled, no matter how many things are suppressed. If they look for it hard enough, they will find the sacraments. They will find the mass. And if they can't find any of them, they always have the rosary, which is the meditation on the life, passion, and resurrection of the Lord. So it's, it's ultimately hopeful. It's good. It's it's good. You know, Mal one here's one final quote. I'll leave you from Malachi. Right? You know, at the time he didn't call me. Uh, Robert or Rob, he called me Bob. And he said, Bob, there will come a time many years from now when people will say of the Catholics that lived through this period of history, they will say we were blessed and honored to be able to do that. And that's, that's, what, he, that's what he firmly believed. That's what he firmly believed. So, you know, uh, you know, one, one funny thing is that uh, Mel Gibson really stirred up a hornet's nest when he put forth that little four-minute video because, yes. you know. And that's that's, you know, that's he, a podcast in itself. Yes, when, when he starts quoting <laughs> Pope Pius V and Quo Primo and taking on Francis, that's a whole other podcast for itself. But it's like, it's like it come, you know, confirmation of the faith comes from the most unlikely sources. Would you just would you class yourself as a traditional ultimately good? But if anyone who you know you you class yourself as a traditional traditional Catholic, is that right? Well, I I call I call myself a Roman Catholic. A Roman Catholic. But I follow the traditional uh, the traditional beliefs, devotional practices of the Catholic Church as they existed. And were commonly practiced up until approximately 1962. Um, so, so for any audiences who are listening or watching that wants to maybe um, go back to that that literature, or um, you know, to maybe or who are sort of inquisitive about that kind of that area, you know, where, where, where do you go for your sources of information and teachings? I would I would start with listening just so they get to establish a kind of a narrative framework for the whole thing. Yeah. Literally, I would go back again to The Tempter's Hour by Malachi Martin and Bernard Jensen. Yeah. Listen to that, because in there, he tells you, read this, do this, Brilliant. practice this, look for this, and you'll be okay. I believe I sent you a... Um, a link to a book. I think it's called Our Catholic Faith. Okay. And it's a, it's an old book that was published up until about 1965 that has, you know, a much easier to read and understand version of the catechism. Right. People could go to that book. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave a link in the description. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yes. Or, or even, you've heard of the Baltimore Catechism. Yeah. Okay? The Baltimore Catechism as it was up until 1965, that would be perfectly fine. It's not difficult. We, we have the internet. It can be used for yeah, good yeah. and evil. But in this case, it would definitely be used for good. Brilliant, mate. Right, so, I'll leave you there. Very good. Yeah. Stay safe. Keep your head down. Speak you soon. You too. Mark. All right. Take care, buddy. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Maliki, where is the what is the future of all of this? Um, we're coming up on the end of the millennium, and everybody is yeah. acting strange. I guess is the best way to describe it. There is a funny. We're in Tron, We all know in our bones, no matter how smug we may appear to be, we all know we're in transition. And since we've been talking about the Roman Catholic Church, let me say what I think. At the present moment, this Roman Catholic Church, of which I'm a member. And a practicing priest, I say mass every day, and I hear babies, I hear a confession that I baptize babies, and etc., etc., etc. And I'm a believer. I'm really Michael Fuddy Duddy, conservative believer. Believe <laughs> me. Um, Maybe that's not so bad in light of everything that I've seen here. But uh, so, uh, in the light of all that, hear what I say. This organization, I'm talking about the visible organization, from the Pope down to the local parish priest, uh, diocese. This is a Potemkin village. 
It's a facade. Okay. There is no longer any evangelization taking place. No. There is no longer any vibrancy. Life has gone out of the system. As well as hope. As well as hope. It, it, the system is shot. But it's a Potemkin village. Still has glorious panoplies. And if the Pope comes to this country, he can expect a crowd of half a million, three quarters of a million. And they come out to see him and to venerate him and to sort of say, God bless our Pope, and to stand in the rain at his masses that did in Yonkers, 250,000 of them stood. I know there was some really weird energy, not weird, but I mean good energy, sure. in 93 when he was here in Denver. I know, tremendous. But the organization as such is dead. It is dead. So we're going to see uh, uh, some big changes. Well, you're going to see a marginalization. It's going to, the church, the own Catholic Church is going to be marginalized politically and culturally. That's, uh... And reduced uh, quantitatively, finally, and qualitatively bettered. But within a short time, there's going to be a, there's a, going to be a real shortage of priests and a real shortage of nuns. There are going to be very few Catholic colleges. Okay, Malachi, that's it. I'm sorry. Okay. That's be the last word. We're out of here tonight. <laughs> this is it.